we we were dragged away from a load in in a in a stadium one day to to, to go to go and play soccer. It was pretty surreal. So yeah, like that that's one of the highlights for me. Hey everybody, welcome to Bus Call, the podcast dedicated to touring industry professionals and their stories. My name is Ryan Goldbacher and I'm going to be your host. In these interviews, we're going to break down how touring professionals got into the industry, advice they have for up-and-comers, and awesome stories from the road. For more info, visit us at show-logistics.com and click on the Bus Call podcast at the top of the page. All right, everybody, I want to welcome my uh, next guest to Bus Call, uh, Owen Okinsula. I said that right, right? Absolutely, 100%. All right, great. Um, Owen and I met a couple years ago while he was uh, a systems tech on the Judas Priest Firepower Tour. He's also worked with Iron Maiden, Rod Stewart, just to name a few of the small acts he's, he's been with. Um, he, he's in Ireland right now, but he has worked out in New Zealand, the UK, Australia, and he's traveled all over the world. Owen, welcome to Buscal. How's it going, man? Oh, very well, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing as good as I possibly could be doing. Um, you know, me and you had worked a lot together, but we never really hung out that much just because you were so busy. I mean... Uh, Absolutely. You dribble and Kyle would, I don't know what time you loaded in, but it had to be about 7 o'clock. And yeah, most mornings it would have been loading at maybe 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m. So um, there were long days, but like, I mean, every every day is enjoyable on, on a tour. So um, We could have real jobs is what I always say. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's boring. Exactly. But anyway, what's the story behind how you got into the music business and where did it all start for you? When did you decide that you wanted to do this for a living? So, well, it's seems like a long long time ago now i was backpacking in australia for quite a few years and i've been a musician since i was kind of 12 years old um my brother studied with sae and he did a recording studio course in australia the school of audio engineering right yes absolutely and i didn't want to go down the recording studio road um live music just always fascinated me and i've been going to gigs and concerts from a very young age and um, he tracked down a course in Auckland in New Zealand for me and it was a live sound um, course which I applied to and got into and the rest is history as they say I I finished that course um, I got a bit of audio work um, by one of the main companies in New Zealand uh, Oceania and they offered me a job as soon as I finished the course and I think I finished the course on a Friday and I started with them on the Monday um, but yeah start, start from there really and from that Monday, really, I um, I got to meet some really cool people who are sound engineers and very qualified in their field. This industry is very, it's um, who you know and um, not what you know, to a certain degree. But um, yeah, I met some really cool people there who were from the UK and America, um, Australia, New Zealand. And um, yeah, that, that kind of just opened up a lot of audio doors for me. It's interesting because touring in America is different than touring in New Zealand. I mean, it's just such a small country. What was your first tour? It wasn't really a tour. My first, um, I was playing music in an Irish bar in Auckland at my friend's pub and the crew from the Pixies were in there and I just got talking to a couple of these guys. They record all our gigs live so they just took me on board for I think it was three gigs around New Zealand which was pretty cool. Massive fan of the Pixies so um, that was like wow oh my god this is what I want to be doing. Yeah from, from there it just kind of grew so I started with Oceania and there was big gigs in Auckland in the arenas, um, festivals and whatnot, um, but but the touring didn't start for me really until I moved to the UK. Uh, I moved to the UK in 
2012 to work for the London Olympics. And after that, I um, kind of got established with a couple of companies in the UK and did the usual working in warehouses and getting to know gear and getting to know PAs. And then the touring started. My story is completely different. I did some audio stuff uh, at venues and then, you know, started doing the van tours and actually kind of went from there so coming from the other side of it all it's uh it's interesting so i mean you're you're a systems tech and you did monitors for black star riders uh you helped us out tremendously on that on that tour i mean how did you get into the big touring world doing the arenas and stuff like that so when i started in oceania i met who turned out to be one of my best friends a guy called dribble Oh yeah, yeah, you've mentioned mm-hmm. and Dribble is well connected. He's worked with if you name a band, he's worked with them. Um, and I moved to the UK, and he got me in with a company over there called Major Tom, um, who were a Meyerhouse um, just outside London. They do uh, Judas Priest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and they do Rod Stewart as well. And um, Ed Sheeran was coming up to some to his biggest shows at the time, which was going to be in Wembley in London, Wembley Stadium, and Crow Park Stadium in Dublin. And they needed extra crew, and my name was put forward. And luckily enough, they gave me a start. So my first job with uh, Major Tom was Ed Sheeran in, in Wembley, which was absolutely crazy. I mean, that that's you know, at the deep end kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it just started with Ed. Um, I, I've always been a freelancer. I've never just stuck with one company, which tends to happen quite a lot in this industry. But yeah, Major Tom gave me a lot of work there, more just into the touring side of things. They do one little festival, not a little festival, it's a really cool festival in the southwest of England. I got a phone call there one day from, first of all, from Major Tom, and they said, the production manager is going to ring you in a few minutes. Sorry, the production assistant from Iron Maiden. They said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, I'm going back to Dublin. This festival's over. And they said, would you mind coming out to Finland um, <laughs> and finishing off the Iron Maiden tour with us? And I said, absolutely. That's all good. And I just had a little carry-on luggage thing with me. And I just went on the road with Iron Maiden for two months, I think. Did you get to fly on their uh, 747? I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Man. I'm absolutely <laughs> gutted. I think I only missed out by a few weeks, but that uh, I've seen everyone's pictures and uh, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> well, pretty, pretty um, still not too shabby. No, not not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, yeah. That was a, a really cool tour to be on, and mm. the band were amazing, and the crew were absolutely unbelievable, and they made me feel right at home, and one of one of the crew straight away. So that's one of the things that I. I love about working with you guys and uh, on the Judas Priest store. I mean, that crew, you, Dribble, and Kyle, who were the audio systems techs, yeah. and, and Martin and, and Rick, everybody, you were part of the family as soon as you got there. I think the thing about touring is make everyone part of the family, have mm-hmm. fun, because it's it's the best job in the world, I yeah. think. Um, getting, getting to tour the world and working with like-minded people and... Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's a big family on tour you know mm-hmm. which is great because mm-hmm. you're away from home you're away from your family and your partners and um, if you have kids you're away from them and it is a real family situation which is great well that's the way it should be i mean you, you're sharing a bus you're sharing something that's smaller than a really small apartment with 12 other people you yeah. know you have to get along it makes it way more enjoyable because if you think about all the stuff especially you had to do you worked a 20-hour day every day <laughs> out there it uh, were long, days, yeah. long days but you know you have to be in a position where you get along with the people you work with absolutely yeah it's touring family and these people you get to tour with i mean they, they do become friends for life mm-hmm. and I, I talk to people that i haven't seen in years but you're in a brotherhood type of thing if that makes sense of the touring world which is great well it's i mean it's like us right now i mean i haven't seen you since the end of that judas priest tour but i don't know how i was trying to think of when i saw you last but i have no idea yeah, it was it had to be the end of the judas priest tour that was uh it would have been yeah yeah 
but uh, you know, that was 20, I think that was 2017, 2018, so a few years ago now. 2018, maybe. Yeah, yeah, a while ago. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you've gotten to travel all over the world. What are some of the cool uh, venues and the cool experiences that you've had? Well, cool experience, there's quite a few of those. Um, one thing I'd never do again is go on a helicopter. We, we got a free <laughs> helicopter ride um, over Niagara Falls. Oh. And, oh my God, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. It was something I've always wanted to do, but mm. um, yeah, never again. We, we were in there, I think there was five of us from, from Judas Priest in there. And okay. Yeah, never, never, never again. But um, good, good fun. It's ticked off the bucket list. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of perks to, to be in a way. Like that, that was a free helicopter ride, which... Yeah. was unbelievable and yeah i mean just even getting getting to travel around the world and getting paid for that and mm-hmm. um it's, it's an absolute privilege sometimes and i've been to some countries where i never thought i would get to go and we've traveled around quite a bit around south america and because of the the music that we're with like judas priest being heavy metal like even the crew were treated like gods you know uh-huh. which is very very humbling i mean um heavy metal to these guys is absolute life and mm-hmm. just the appreciation they have just for even the crew being there to, to put on the show for the band you know it's it's absolutely amazing but then on the flip side of that um, we, we have Japan we we went twice with Judas Priest and that was another country I always wanted to visit them um, absolutely mind-blowing place which I'd, I'd go back to Japan tomorrow if I could and um, the people there are just absolutely beautiful people they can't do enough for you and Everybody I talk to just loves Japan, and I've never been to Japan. It's just you know, I just can't, I can't wait to go. Oh, it's great! It's great when you look at um, like South America with the heavy metal scene, and the crowd are just absolutely up for the gig. And in Japan, they are, but in in their own way, and it's it's all um, quiet and reserved, and it's so respectful. And it's a, um, <laughs> but they're just it's they're just so two sides fans. of the coin. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, we, we we did travel quite a bit, quite extensively with Judas Priest, and. Um, it was a privilege to be to be flown around the world. What uh, what are some of the cool venues you've gotten to play? I'd have to say Croke Park in in Dublin. I mean, mm-hmm. it's our national sport. Gaelic football is played there, and there's on on a match day in there it holds close to ninety thousand people. But to work for Ed Sheeran in there, it was a home gig for me, and we had tons and tons of PA. That was one of the highlights of of, of my career was um, Croke Park, Ed Sheeran in two thousand and whatever it was. Mm-hmm. We did two or three nights in there, and uh, that was pretty mind-blowing, just to see the scale of something so big, you know. But there's a really cool venue called the Bomb Factory in um, in Dallas. Yeah, um, yeah. We played there a couple of times with Priest, and it's an amazing venue. The crew are some of the best mm-hmm. I've worked with in the world, and a really, really cool venue. But I suppose when, when you do the big-scale stuff like um, arenas and stadiums, but you get all these little gems. Mm. Um, the arenas, you just don't even really know where you are sometimes because they're all very similar. They are the exact same. Yeah, and you don't leave uh, when you're on a crew. You pull in with the bus. Sometimes you're under the building, and your whole day is spent on the floor. Or you, uh, I mean, I just I have so many memories of, re- of arenas on that pre-store that I, I have no idea where we were. <laughs> just in my head. No, it's, you know? a, it's a funny one because on Facebook I, I check in to every venue I have just for the purpose of of a memory coming up a year later. Sometimes they'll say, oh, we were in here a year ago. Do you not mm. remember? And it's like, I have no idea yeah. about this venue. Just mm. they're, they're all so alike. But every day is Groundhog Day, which is mm. which is good and bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, arenas are just are a pretty generic empty shell, aren't they? Well, yeah. Have you ever done Red Rocks in uh, Denver? No. Oh, no. That, that's, oh, to do that, that, that's a bucket list gig for uh, me. To it's do Red it's Rocks, a yeah. major pain to do that gig but it really? is so cool well it's on the side of a mountain 
And if you have semis, you hit, you can't get the semis up there. You can't get the buses up there. So they have to cross load everything onto smaller trucks and then you got to load it in again. But then once you get it done, it's just incredible. It's just such a cool, I mean, I'm sure you've seen pictures and it, it, the pictures don't do it justice. It's like it, those rocks are just, you know, they're the size of massive buildings, (laughs) but, uh, but that's, I mean, that's one of the ones that I've, I've got to do that. I would, you know, I've, I've been there a few times. Very jealous. (laughs) Well, you'll be there. You'll be there. But um, what advice do you have for people getting into this business? Uh, you know, maybe things that you wish you would have done a little bit differently or things that you think you did right. The main thing I'd say is is question everything. Um, mm-hmm. If someone tells you to do something, obviously do it um, because they're the experienced one. But just ask, why do you have to do it? And I, I think some of the things in the industry took me a lot longer to um, to understand and um, to gain knowledge from because I didn't ask those questions at the start. Um, I, I was really lucky when I first of all started off in the industry. I met the likes of Dribble and another close mate of mine called Ratu. Mm. And these guys were just uh, the absolute pinnacle of, of the industry, of what they can do in, in the industry. And, and these guys taught me so much, but it was just asking questions. And sometimes I didn't ask enough questions and, and it did hold me back in my career um, a bit um, until I actually got my head around how these things um, work and, and, and why they work and what's the benefit of them and while they're working. But my main thing to anyone starting off in this industry is all, all the toys are out there. We, we have all the speakers and the consoles and the microphones, but just ask questions um, because there's so much IT involved in live sound now, whether it's radio mics or belt packs. Just ask questions, get stuck in. There's a lot of cool gear, there's a lot of cool people. Um, I really think it's one of the best jobs in the world. But just ask questions to, to further your knowledge in the industry. That's the, the big thing I'd say about this um, mm. industry. You know, and every day is a school day. Um, the day you stop learning about live sound, leave the industry. Yeah. Um, but that'll never happen. Meanwhile, I got into the industry. Um, digital consoles were, they were around for a number of years before that. But now it's it's kind of all you see, you know, like to, to see an analog console is, is a treat now. Obviously, the digital consoles, the workflow is pretty much the same in them. But just to get to know each each individual uh, make of, of console is is a huge benefit, whether mm-hmm. you want to tour or if you want to work in a venue or um, but just ask questions. I think the really cool thing with the COVID um the coronavirus going on in the world right now is like all these audio companies, whether it's Shure, Sennheiser, uh, Midas, Digico, they're all doing online tutorials. Um, mm-hmm. Smart from Rational Acoustics are doing online tutorials, which is great, you know. So we have all the equipment and everything out there. So for anyone wanting to get into industry, go for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to show somebody via the internet now. You know, some yes. consoles have have software that you can connect to a computer and you can actually see what's happening in real time. Yeah. It's important too because in the old days, you know, if you could use an analog console, you could use just about any analog console. Absolutely. Now, yeah. there's consoles that are easier to use than others. There's consoles that are more ubiquitous than others. You know, there's a learning curve. You can't just throw somebody on a Digico desk the first time and expect them to be able to use it. And it's the same thing for everything. Absolutely, yeah, fully agree. If you're worth your weight in gold, you can find your way... Uh, so to speak around a console but there's training courses out there for that reason just to learn it as best you can you know because they are all a bit different the cool thing is people in this business tech guys like like us we just love teaching it's not you know it's it's such a cool uh you know i mean we you know this is all we think about (laughs) so it's you know it's it's cool to share that knowledge and uh you know I, i think early on i was a little bit uh intimidated and and uh 
didn't really want to sound like I didn't know what I was doing, so I didn't ask as many questions yeah. as I probably should have. But now being around for a while, I kind of like being a person that somebody can come to and, and asking questions about how to do something or, or tech. Even the big thing for me is like techniques. You can go online now and learn how to use any console, but I, mm-hmm. I like showing people tricks and stuff that I use to, you know, make things sound better that, that are, it doesn't matter what console you're on, you know, but so many people out there just really have a heart for teaching. And it's, uh, I think it's really important, especially now, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to, to educate yourself <laughs> and, uh, you know, agree. we all need to be ready to go when, when things start getting back to normal. But, um, well, I mean, I'm just worried there's going to be too many really good sound engineers <laughs> when, when we can finally go back to work because yeah. all these, um, all these tutorials are available online and people are just going to be chomping at the bit, you know, yeah. so we, we, which is a good thing, you yeah. know, like the more people, the merrier. So, yeah. yeah, but you know, it's like you said too, it's, it's not necessarily what you know. I mean, you do have to be able to carry your own weight, but it's, uh, yeah, it's who, you know, you got that Judas Priest Greg because you were buddies with dribble. Um, I got it because I've made friends with some engineers, uh, in the past. So it's just, people don't really care so much about your resume. As long as you can do what you can do, it's more about absolutely uh, who, you know, and, and, you know, they trust you and they like working with you but, uh, absolutely and from working in new zealand i went to london met people there then i came back to ireland um i knew people that i, I would have worked with in new zealand and london mm-hmm. then i moved to australia um i was working with people there who would have worked previously in london and it's just such a small industry mm-hmm. um it's such a small world and uh, and your name really does carry you know mm-hmm. um, and and everyone's willing to give everyone a start provided you're you're okay. <laughs> yeah. If you're a good hang and you're willing to learn. Yeah, right. absolutely. So. Yeah, um, head, head down arse up and, and just just learn yeah. learn um, what, what you have to do. What what are some uh, crazy stories you can tell me about that happened to you? And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even necessarily be a, a, a story about an artist or anything like that, but have you ever been like left at a border or stuck in an airport for days or anything like that? I was trying to think. I was like racking my brain for the last couple of days trying to think. But for for me, one one of the coolest things was apart from flying all around the world was um, Iron Maiden have a soccer team. Oh, and um, and I, I worked with with Kyle from from Judas Priest on on Iron Maiden as well, and and um, the two of us were okay, I suppose, at, at um, soccer. So Steve Harris, he, he runs the football team and he plays, and we got to play for Iron Maiden FC. There was these like Iron Maiden super fans who'd come and see the matches, and we played one game in a soccer stadium somewhere in Spain, I think. And like again, see ex professionals and played around the states and whatnot for people who would have played for Manchester United and whatnot. And it was a bit surreal, you know. Like there was a crowd cheering you on, and as as Kyle jokingly pointed out, like we're getting paid to play soccer, and <laughs> um, we we were dragged away from a load in in a in a stadium one day to to, to go. And, to go and play soccer, it was pretty surreal. So yeah, like that—that's one of the highlights for me is was playing um, soccer for for Iron Maiden FC and Steve Harris. I don't know what age he is, but he just showed up. Everyone, he's he, he's a he's a soccer player and a phenomenal bass player as well. But um, soccer is life to him, and it, that was a privilege, you know, to, just to be able to play um, football all around the world with Iron Maiden FC. Well, Owen, thank you so much, man, for taking some time out to talk to Pleasure. me today. And uh, you know, when you're when you're back in the states, hit me up, and we'll uh, grab a beer or something. Absolutely. Yeah, Look I still, I still have I still have that video of you and um and Kyle um, that I need to blackmail you guys with. No, <laughs> no, the karaoke. <laughs> yep. 
Oh, delete, delete, delete. Oh no, I'm pu- nope, nope, nope. I need a gig. No, <laughs> get God, me, get me on bad. that priest tour. It'll it'll stay in my computer if I'm on that pre-store the next. Oh my god, that is bad. That is bad. Oh, it's hilarious. (laughs) All right, buddy. Well, I'll uh, let's keep in touch, and uh, you know, um, good luck out there. Cheers, Ryan. Stay safe. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Bus Call. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit us at patreon.com slash buscall. Patreon members will get the podcast a week before it's released to the public, and they can also sign up to have advance notice of who's going to be on and the opportunity to ask questions. Please take some time to visit show-logistics.com. We've dedicated the first page to sell merch to raise money for Crew Nation's Global Relief Fund. As you know, with COVID-19, basically all touring has stopped for the foreseeable future, and there's thousands and thousands of crew out of work, and we're donating all the profits many of the merch sold there straight to Crew Nation. Thanks so much again, and please rate, review, and subscribe.